Uh, open with me to the book of Ephesians this evening. Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. The Holy Spirit has really just impressed upon my heart uh, to encourage you this evening, uh, to exhort you uh, to, to just go another round in this spiritual battle that we all find ourselves in. And I kind of feel like a, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, a professional fight and a guy walks into his corner and he's getting his clock cleaned and there's someone in his corner that's telling him how to defeat his enemy and so that's what I want to do here this evening. Because the enemy's real and he hates you and he wants to destroy your life. But God wants to use you and there's victory in the midst of warfare. So uh, let's pray and let's, actually let's read through this. I want to read through Ephesians 6 beginning in verse 10 down to 18 and um, we'll pray and then we'll get into what I believe that the Lord has in store for us this evening. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this evening. It is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path, Lord. Uh, by it we wage this good warfare that you've called us to. And Lord, we ask that you'd give us, this, give us our portion tonight, Lord. We need fresh manna. Uh, we need... Uh, Bread, the bread of life to sustain us, Lord, and we need clarity. Lord, I pray for those who are discouraged this evening, uh, finding themselves in immense emotional and mental turmoil, Lord. Those who need to just be built up and assured, and those who just uh, really just need to open their eyes to the truth that they're in a battle. I pray, Father, that you would give us, again, just give us our portion. Use your word to to convict, reprove, exhort, encourage here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, notice the first word. It says, finally. And whenever you're studying the Bible, it's a really good habit to stop at every punctuation mark, whether it's a comma or a period, and really begin to reflect and meditate upon what's being said. It wouldn't be wise for us to jump into the end of this book without considering what, what is, was in the beginning of this book. Paul is making his closing remarks. Ephesians is one of the greatest letters in the New Testament. And he says, finally, because he's wrapping up this thought. But before he wraps up these thoughts, he wants to prepare us to engage in a battle that, we've walk, that we're going to walk in, that we live in daily. Uh, Ephesians can be broke up, broken up very simply. In chapters 1 through 3, it's referred to as the, the wealth of the believer, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we have redemption through his, his blood, that we've been adopted, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we've been saved by grace through faith, that we've been pulled out of darkness and into light. 
and he tells us in those first three chapters of everything that God has done for us. Now, this is extremely important because a lot of us want to go to battle or live this life of obedience without fully comprehending and sitting with the truth of what God has already done for us. Uh, you, number one, you can't outgive God. God is not a debtor to man. And so our acts of obedience to him, our walk and our relationship with him should be acts of love. Because we comprehend what he has actually done for us. And that's what Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 lays out. The wealth of the believer. And sometimes we live our spiritual lives like, like poor, poor beggars because we don't really comprehend with. We really haven't sat alone with the truth of who we are in Christ and all that the Lord has done for us. Only once Paul has established that in the first three chapters does he begin to tell us about the walk of the believer. That we're supposed to walk in light, that we're supposed to walk in wisdom, that we're supposed to walk in love, that we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're supposed to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called, that we're supposed to be imitators of God as dear children of God. He tells us how to, to live in our marriage relationships, to how, to how to conduct ourselves within the church. He tells us how we are to walk as believers, how we're to walk out this faith and apply it. He touches on spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4 and that the Lord has gifted us and he's given us a purpose for our life, that he wants to use us for his glory, that he's given us gifts that are to be exercised by faith uh, to build up the body of Christ. But when you get into chapter 6, you get into the warfare of the believer. And I'm thankful that Paul ends here because if we go to battle without understanding that we have already obtained, the victory is already ours. And that's, that's kind of a cliche thing that we say in Christianity. Oh, the victory is already yours, brother. But do you really understand what that means? Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so you say, well, what does that mean? Um, going to battle and winning a battle makes you a conqueror. But being more than a conqueror means that you've already won the battle before you've gotten to the battle. That's what that term more than conquerors means. Any battle that the Lord has ordained in your life that he has called you to, you've already won it in Christ. But how do you conduct yourself within this battle? That's what I'm interested in our time together tonight. Because sometimes we understand this reality of victory, we understand the, the truth that uh, God is for us, he's not against us, that again, we're more than conquerors in Christ, but sometimes we don't really feel that way. Sometimes we're getting, get, we feel like we're getting beat up more than we're succeeding. Sometimes we feel like we're falling more than we're standing. Sometimes we feel like we just need to get our head above the water to get, to, to get one more breath in before the, wave, the next wave comes over us. And it's wave after wave after wave of sorrow or grief or difficulty or confusion or depression or whatever it is. Whatever your battle is, it look, may look different in anyone's life. Nonetheless, it's warfare. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says that the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give you that more abundantly. And the amazing truth about Christianity is the abundant life can be experienced in the midst of warfare. You say, man, that's, I wish I had that. I wish that was my reality. And I'm here to tell you that it's obtainable. But you must be willing to go to war. You must be willing to acknowledge that you're in a battle. Paul's going to talk about the wiles of the devil. He says in 2 Corinthians that we're not to be ignorant of his devices. 
Uh, Paul tells Timothy that no one engaged in battle entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who's enlisted him as a good soldier. Part of our difficulty and sometimes why we don't experience victory is because we're just simply not engaging in the battle in which we were called. So Paul says, finally, and notice what he says next. He says, finally, my brethren. He's talking to believers here tonight. He's not, and I'm, I'm thankful for this. I know my audience. I know all of you, for, for the most part of what I could see here, you're believers. You're, you're walking this walk. You're walking with the Lord. You, you are you are blood-bought sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. We're the family of God. Uh, we, are, we are brethren. He's talking to believers. And notice what he says. He says, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm going to resist the temptation to spend the whole study on this. But I, I, on this verse specifically, I don't think we can ever plummet the depths of it. Because to know the strength of the Lord, you have to be so well acquainted with your own weakness. And the Lord leads us through prolonged seasons where we are so acquainted with our weakness physically, with our weakness spiritually, with our weakness mentally, emotionally. And we despise these things and we kick against these things, but it's those very things that produce weakness in our lives that are the means of producing true strength. And we kick out our weaknesses. And we kick out the things that, that, that the crosses in our life. And we add suffering to suffering because we're so opposed to suffering because it produces weakness. And what does weakness produce? Weakness produces insecurity. But what is the Christian's response to weakness supposed to be? It's supposed to be faith in the power that's provided in Christ. It would be easy to say, okay, I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to wait for the power of God to be placed upon me. And yes, we, we can ask to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he will respond and he will fill you the moment that you request that. But there's also a dynamic of faith that is appropriating the power of God in your weakness. The moment that you feel weakness, you, you take a step of faith into the power of God and you appropriate it. And sometimes it's second by second by second by second. But what does that do? It keeps you close to the heart of God. You may feel nothing but weakness, but at the end of the day, you lay your head on the pillow and say, Lord, it's been your strength that has enabled me. It's been your strength that's empowered me. And so, if we're, going to be, um, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil, as Paul's going to say, we must, sure, we, mu we must be sure of our own weakness and not kick against it. But we also must appropriate the power of God by faith. When you read Hebrews chapter 11 and you hear about the faith of Noah and you hear about the faith of Moses and Abraham and Sarah and, and so on and so on, there's this statement in Hebrews 11, I believe it's in verse 32 or 36, don't quote me, but it talks, it just says, by faith, out of weakness, they were made strong. That blows me away. By faith, out of weakness, they were made strong. Why? 
Why does God allow us to experience our own frailty? Why did God allow Paul to experience this thorn in the flesh and this messenger? It's two things. It's the thorn in the flesh. It's the actual suffering that produced weakness in him. But it's also the messenger of Satan to buffet him about how weak he is. Why did the Lord allow that? So that Paul can learn deeper levels of surrender, but also that he could experience the power of God to a greater degree. Because what did he say? I I boast in my infirmities that the power of God may be manifested in me. This is is true Christianity, but, but it's hard because it's so contrary to the flesh. It's so contrary to this world that we're living in right now. I, I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to touch it. I, wanna, I want it quick. But if we're willing to go to the depths that the Lord calls us to, we'll experience his power. But what, what is our natural reaction to suffering, to weakness, to get out of it, to distract ourselves from it? And look, I'm not... <laughs> By no means am I condemning this. Been there, lived there. Can't teach it unless you've been taught it, right? I get it. But what I want to encourage you to do is to allow weakness to have its way within you. Stop kicking against it. Let it happen. Let God work. Because then... In time, you'll be able to step out in faith and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can't operate in your power and his power at the same time. The power of the flesh and the power of the spirit cannot coexist. It's one or the other. And our power always has a limiting factor. But the Bible says that the Lord gives a spirit without measure. That we're made strong through his spirit. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Make this choice. When you're going through warfare, acknowledge weakness and say, Lord, I need something that's beyond me. And I know that it's mine in you. So help me by your grace to believe that you've bestowed your power upon me. And help me to operate in the God-ordained power that is made available to me in my life as I walk by faith and not by sight or by feeling or by emotion. Help me, Lord. And he tells us to do this. He says to put on. Notice this. He's going to tell us to do a few things. He's going to tell us to put on. This is an imperative in the, in, maybe you're not like a language student, but it means something to me. Uh, it's a commandment, in other words. It means you don't have an option. Put on. You must do this is what Paul is saying. Put on, notice, the whole armor of God. He makes this statement very clear at the onset of this. To put it all on. You can't go out to battle with insufficient uh, armor. You can't put your breastplate on without putting on your helmet. And you, even if you put on all the armor and you don't take your weapon with you, you're going to be defeated. So you need the whole armor of God. Notice that you may be able to stand against, uh, circle this word maybe, or take note of it, the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. I like that word. 
because he's cunning and he's crafty. It gives you insight into the nature of Satan. Sometimes we think about Satan and, and we could be, just be terrified of the mysticism behind him. But the Bible puts before us just who he actually is. The Bible says he is the father of lies, that he is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, his name is Lucifer. He, the Bible says that he's able to transform himself into an angel of light, that he's the great deceiver. And he has tactics. He studies you. If you've ever read the book of Job, and you have this, we have this insight to this conversation, essentially, that was taking place between God and Satan as it pertained to the man, Job himself. And he asked, have you ever considered my servant Job? That word considers, it's a military term. It means to study with the purpose of destroying, essentially. To examine, and that's what the enemy does in our life. He examines us. He finds our weakness. And then he finds a place where we think we're strong, and then he allows us to fall in that area. He tempts us. He plays, he plays mind games with us. He, he kicks you while you're down. But what the Bible's going to tell us is that we could stand against this. That we don't have to be continually being defeated. This is a message that we need to preach to ourselves daily. This is something that we need to tell ourselves daily. Because um, there needs to be a line that's drawn in the sand in our lives when we go through spiritual warfare. There needs to be a moment in your life where you are alone in your heart with God where you draw a line in the sand and you say enough is enough. I'm going to obtain victory. Because God is a God who delivers, right? Or else he's not God. God is a God who delivers. And whatever your battle is here tonight, he is capable of delivering. But you must be willing to step into, you must be willing to enter into this battle wholeheartedly, completely, seeking him with all of your heart. The Bible says when you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found by you. So there needs to be this moment of commitment that says, I'm not going to distract myself from this difficulty. I'm going to let myself go through it. I'm going to purpose to experience the victory that is mine in Christ daily. Because when you do that, God begins to move. Verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your battle... If you're married here tonight, your battle's not with your spouse. Your battle's not with the people that you can see. You're, you're, we, we've been called to another battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood, against the things of this world. We need to understand this. We are otherworldly. We, we are of another kingdom. There's, we, we are of the kingdom of God. We, we battle differently. Remember the story of, of Elisha and his servant. And they're surrounded by the enemy, and Elisha is calm, and he's cool, and he's collected. And his servant is, don't you see, says, don't you see that we're surrounded? And what does he pray? He says, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opens his eyes, and he realizes that they're surrounded by, by chariots of fire. That there are more that are with them than are with the enemy. And you know that is the case in your life as well. And sometimes that just needs to be our prayer. Lord, open our eyes to see. 
help me to see, help me to comprehend, give me discernment, give me the ability to see what is really taking place. Show me, Lord, the tactics of the enemy. Because the Lord doesn't just call you into a battle. He doesn't just call you into a fight without giving you the tools for the battle. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but the Lord will give you discernment. He will show you the tactics of the enemy. He will show you who the enemy is using to bring confusion into your life. And sometimes it's other believers, and it's unbeknownst to that other believer. The enemy is just trying to bring division. So we need to not be ignorant of his devices, but we also need to realize that we we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So what does that mean? It means that we need to set our mind on things above, not on things that are on this earth. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are rulers and rankings of demons. Against rulers of, excuse me, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness, notice, in heavenly places. What's amazing to me is in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, that the Bible says that all things were created through Jesus and, and for Jesus and by Jesus. Chapter 2 says that even principalities and powers were created through him and for him. So even the worst attack of the enemy is allowed in your life. It passes through the loving hands of God to actually perform God's purposes in your life. That changes spiritual warfare. That changes the attacks of the enemy. Because sometimes we, we have this perception of the enemy's beating us up, the enemy's beating us up. And yes, that may be true, but the Lord's allowing it. The Lord's allowing it. So what's really taking place is the enemy, even though he is trying to destroy you, the Lord is able to take his tactics and turn it back on his face and use it for his glory. So that you and I can realize, okay, nothing happens in our lives without passing through the hands of the Lord. The Lord's allowed this for a reason. The Lord's allowed this warfare for a reason into my life. That the enemy is actually just being allowed to accomplish the purposes of God in my life. So victory is already mine in Christ. So Lord, show me why you're allowing this so that I can learn this lesson, so I can learn more of you and who you are, and therefore obtain the victory that's mine through the knowledge of who you are. That's amazing. That's an amazing truth. That God is always working for us. It doesn't, now this is something that needs to be, again, appropriated by faith. Because it does not always feel that way. Sometimes it just feels like the Lord is just wanting to destroy us. And he'll thrust us into the fire and he's silent. It, that is like, that is the worst battle. It's like, Lord, I just want to serve you. I, I'm yours, Lord. I said yes to the call. I'm walking with you. I'm staying close to your heart. I realize I'm going through difficulties because you're using my life. And you're silent. And I can't feel you and I can't hear you and I can't discern you. It is then that you are going to experience the greatest growth in your Christian character. Because then you are learning to walk by faith. 
I pray not because I feel God when I pray. I pray because the Bible tells me God hears me when I pray and he acts on my behalf. I walk with him not because I can feel that he is with me, but because I believe that the Bible tells me he is with me. I run to him not because it feels like he is actually being a banner unto me and that he is a refuge unto me and that he is my hiding place, but because I believe that as I run to him, he is actually hiding me in the shadow of his wings. That is faith. It's not because you, you, you feel it. It's because you believe that the word of God is truth. And sometimes the Lord will allow you to walk through seasons where you can't feel him, you can't hear him, and sometimes you can't discern him. It is that moment that you are walking by faith. It is that moment that your faith is being purified and it is coming forth as gold. That's true depth. That's character being built. That's perseverance. That's steadfastness. That's Christian growth. That is what God desires. And you say, well, that doesn't feel very loving. But doesn't the Bible say that it is our faith that overcomes this world? Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus himself says when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on this earth? When, God, when the Lord comes for his church, he is looking for faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what happens in your life in the midst of warfare is the enemy attacks your hope. And so we must protect our hope by our faith because when hope is lost, all is lost. Why are you cast down, O my soul, the psalmist says. Hope thou in God, right? When you lose hope, when you stop hoping in God to deliver you, when you stop hoping in God to hear your prayers, when you stop hoping in God to act on your behalf, you are in a dangerous place. You are on shaky ground. That is why you need to build up yourself in the most holy faith. That is why you need to give the most earnest heed to the condition of your faith because it's by your faith that you protect your hope because when hope is lost, you are lost. So understand that's what the, I, I want to peel back the layers of what the enemy is really after in your life. He, he wants to whittle away, it's like layers, right? Have you, have you ever seen like an old movie where they're, they're trying to get to the king that's in the kingdom and there's, there's, there's attack after attack, they're trying to get closer and closer to the wall so if they break through the wall they can get into the city, if they can get into the city they can get into the palace, if they can get into the palace they can get to the king, Right? That's what the enemy's trying to do. He attacks your faith and he whittles it down and whittles it down. Why, though? To get to your hope. To destroy hope. That's why we need to build up our faith. That's why we need to be in his word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. That's why your relationship with God needs to be tended to because if you're not tending to your relationship with God, your faith is not going to be built up. If your faith is not going to be built up, you have no protection to the hope that you have in your life. And that's what the enemy is after and he's patient. He's patient and he's persistent and he's, and he's content. Have you ever seen a pack of wolves hunt in like a, a documentary? 
They don't attack a predator when it is strong. Sometimes they attack when it's closest to death. And they allow it to get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And then the pack attacks. Demons do the same thing. They whittle away at us until we're weaker and we're weaker and we're weaker. And then they attack. They bring the full force of the attack. So what is Paul saying to us? Don't allow yourself to be weak. Be strong in the Lord. Build yourself up in your faith. Understand the enemy is trying to destroy you, but we don't wrestle. Our, our battle is otherworldly. It's not of this world. So, so get our, your minds and your attentions off the things, off the people of this world, and realize God is at work in your life. So partner with him in that. He says in verse 13, he says, because this, because there's a real enemy, he says, therefore, again, this is an imperative, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, notice, in the evil day. We live in an evil day. God has called you to live in an evil day. But he will give you a measure of his spirit to match um, the presence of evil that, that we've been called to conduct ourselves in this day, in these days. He says, having, notice, done all to stand. Notice how many times he's going to say stand here coming up. Because the, the picture is digging your feet. It's a Roman soldier. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier right now. He's in prison. I love this about Paul. He's in prison, but his mind is so filled with thoughts of God, so he's able to talk about the wealth of the believer. He, he, he's surrendered, again, he's surrendered to suffering, so he's useful. So now he can encourage others. His, his eyes, his mind, his heart is off of self. His mind is on the Lord. So now his, his, his mind is full of thoughts of God in, in chapters 1 through 3. He's able to encourage the believers about their walk in chapters 4, uh, four and 5. And then in chapter 6, he's able to, to exhort them on how to have victory in the battle. And as he's chained to a Roman guard and a Roman soldier, he's examining his armor that he's wearing. And he's realizing, like, this guy's got to be able to stand against the enemy. So he's saying, dig your feet into the ground and do not give ground in this battle. That's the image he's putting before us. Stop giving ground to the enemy. Stop giving ground to the enemy in your mind. Stop giving ground to the enemy in your heart. Stop giving ground to the enemy in your disobedience. Stand. Stand. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice, having done all to stand. And we have to sit alone with this. We have to let this search our hearts. And I have to say, between your heart and God, Lord, I feel like I'm being destroyed. But have I done all to stand? Have I truly done all to stand? Have I obeyed in the little areas that you're calling me to obey in that don't make sense to me, but I'm just going to do it because you know what's around the corner and I don't? Am I doing all to stand? Stand therefore, he says, having girded your waist with truth. Let's notice how he starts here. Having girded your waist with truth. In the Romans, Roman soldier's armor, his breastplate and everything else, his weapons were attached to his girdle. So everything that Paul is going to build upon is attached to the to the to the girding yourself with a belt of truth. If you don't know the truth, nothing else from this point matters. 
if you're not assured of truth, nothing, we, we, we can't go on any further if we haven't girded our waist with truth. This is so important because we live in a world that perpetuates lies consistently. We fight an enemy who's the father of lies. We don't need, we, we could have no access to the outside world. We could have no social media. We could not know what, we could be on some island in a cave and the enemy could still lie to us. And if we don't know the truth, we, we have nothing. That's why you need to know the word. Because uh, when the enemy, um, when the enemy begins to lie to us, I will, have you ever just woken up to warfare? Like you feel like, oh, I'm going to wake up and read my Bible. You feel like you wake up to Satan and not to God. That was my morning this morning. It was awesome. Um, so I wake up this morning and uh, just my mind just full of, the Lord quickly reveals, it's just full of lies. And I go on a, a run in the mornings, and I'm running in the morning, and the Lord is just putting scripture in my mind. And by the time I got back, I'm like, okay, Lord, I know your word. I know what you're saying to me. And this is not any pat on the back to myself. It's not. But it's because I, I know the word. So the spirit was able to pull out what, what has been put in to combat the lie. But if this is all the word you're getting in your week, it's not sufficient. You're malnourished. Your faith is malnourished. So we should be able to go about our work days and, and, and be battling in our mind, and the Holy Spirit will give you the word of God to your specific situation, to your specific need, exactly when you need it. And sometimes it just enables you to anchor your mind in truth for a minute until the next lie comes. And then the next promise comes. That's how my whole morning was this morning. Lie, Psalm 12.5. Lie, Psalm 16.11. Lie, it's like over and over and over and over again. All day long. But we're doing battle. And if you don't put truth in, truth is not going to be pulled out when the lie has come. So whatever you have to do, our lives all look different, our schedules look different, our responsibilities look different, but there needs to be a time where you're in his word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13 again, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects everything that's important. All your organs, your heart, your heart, the breastplate of righteousness. Sometimes, I don't know if you understand the depths of what's being said here right now. Because what does the enemy love to do? He loves to condemn us, right? He loves to remind us of who we're not and what we've done. And There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. You're righteous, but do you believe it? Do you really believe when you, when you confess your sins 
And when you gave your life to Christ, that the, that the righteousness of Christ was imputed upon you. If you don't know the book of Romans, you need to. You need to know, you need to believe. I remember when the Lord revealed this to me, that salvation didn't just mean the subtractions of sins, but it meant the adding of righteousness. That I was, that I was righteous by faith and nothing could, nothing could take that from me, no matter what the enemy said about me. I, I appropriated that by faith. The Lord, by his power, enabled me to do that, and it changed my, in, my, my complete relationship with God. Because I had not, then you have this boldness in your prayer life. You have boldness in your relationship with him. And, and when you truly grasp the truth of the Father sees you as perfect, spotless, and clean as he sees his own son, that's what's going to protect your heart. Why? Because it brings you back to the cross. And whatever is weighing your heart down, whatever is, is, is burdening your soul, your, in, your, your inside, you're vexed internally, whatever is causing you to be vexed internally, it's all wrapped up in the work of the cross. If he loved you, if his love for you carried him to the cross, his love for you will carry you through whatever you're going to go through. And you're, right, you're righteous through him, right? You're righteous. Do we believe that? Do you understand that's what Christianity means? Do you realize that it's not just, I say the sinner's prayer and I'm forgiven of my sins or cast as far as the east from the west? Do you understand that that's not just, that's not it? That you're justified, that you're sanctified, that you'll be glorified, that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that you are, you have been accepted in the beloved. You have access to the Father through prayer, it's, it's, when that stops blowing our mind, we lose the battle. But what do you have to do? You have to meditate on him. You have to meditate on the cross daily. For, to, to practically put on the breastplate of righteousness, we have to meditate on the work of the cross. And I love this because all of this, all, all of this message brings us back to the cross. That God became a man. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. He became a child. He allowed himself to need a mother. Have you ever thought how crazy that is? That God, God allowed himself to need a mother. And to be dependent upon this, this, this young woman. And then to grow up and subject himself to not just like the hatred of people, even before that. When... He, it's not like Jesus lived this like lucrative career. Jesus could have came into this world and became a king and a ruler, but he didn't. He became a day laborer, and he worked as a carpenter. He didn't come and hold some great position of status. He came as the lowest of the low, so that you can know. Like The wonder of the cross doesn't just start with the cross. It starts with his birth. And the life that he lived for you. I encourage you sometime read Psalm 22 and it talks about the, the well he's hanging on the cross, it's a prophecy, he's hanging on the cross and he's surrounded by these bulls of Bashan and what that is, it's a reference to the, to the demons that were surrounding the cross and just reviling him while he's on the cross. 
It opens us up to the, the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age that he was, he was at war with while he was hanging there. Looked so weak, but he was so powerful because he was surrendered. When we begin to meditate on the cross, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, and having shod your, fi- your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How precious is the gospel to you? Like, I get it, it's a scary thing to share the gospel. Some of us are natural evangelists, some of us are not. But we should all accept and walk in that calling. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. When you're doing the Lord's work, you're experiencing victory over the enemy. And sometimes, I'll, I'll say this to you, Sometimes you don't experience victory because you're not doing his work. And you're just letting him beat you up. You're going to go sit alone and you're going to let him beat you up. It's like, no, serve him. Fulfill your calling. He wants to sideline you. Ask him, Lord, show me my gifts. Let me get in the fight. Because when, when you have shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace... You're experiencing the power of God working through your life in the midst of suffering, and your suffering is being redeemed. If you're willing to say, okay, Lord, use my pain. Use my suffering. Use it. I'm hurting. I'm broken. But I'll share the gospel if you let me. I'll share truth if you let me. I'll go, you open a door, I'll walk through it. You'll be, I guarantee you, he will bring someone into your life that is suffering through someone, something similar to that you're suffering through. And then in that moment, when that uh, conversation is over and God uses you in that capacity, you're alone and you're broken and you're weeping and you're saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've entrusted suffering to me. I've kicked against it. I feel like I'm failing. I'm... I'm but Lord, you, you used it. And then what's it do? It takes the bite out of the teeth of the enemy. It says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He used my life. Let's pick up our pace in verse 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I like this term, he used fiery darts and not just, just darts. Because he doesn't just fire, f- fire an arrow to hit you in one spot. He fires an arrow to completely consume you. And that's what a fiery dart does. It's not just meant to pierce, it's meant to consume and burn and destroy. That's what the lies of the enemy are meant to do. It's not just to like hurt for a minute. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever experienced that in your life? Like the enemy drops like one little lie and walks away. And you're like, oh, I got it, Lord. I'm cool. But then like all of a sudden you're thinking about it. And then it's in your heart. And now you're just, you're just tore up over one thing. That's, that's what the fiery darts of the enemy are. But what does he say? Take the shield of faith. 
the moment the arrow hits, the fire's quenched because you've taken the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation, he says in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Time would fail us to talk about the reality of mental warfare. That's why the Bible has so much to say about the condition of our minds in warfare. That we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The battle's in the mind. You're making your thoughts obey Christ. That is what doing mental warfare looks like. I'm sorry if this reality wasn't explained to you when you said yes to Jesus. That you're entering into this battle. But don't be discouraged by it. Be encouraged by it. Because God wants to use your life, and this is how he prepares you. He prepares through suffering. He allows you to know your enemy. He loves you so he doesn't spare you. Because he knows the true trial of God's greatest joy is serving the Father. The Lord brings us to these places where he reveals to us the emptiness of life, the emptiness of temporal pursuit. And it's there that we begin to experience the call of God, this burning in your heart. There's got to be more to life than this. And when you're in that moment and you say yes to the call and the Lord thrusts you into the battle, you begin to experience his power in your life. But maybe you're not in the battle tonight. Maybe you've just been so consumed by lies and you're not allowing God to use your life. You're not engaged. You're not taking up the whole armor of God. You're not doing all you can to stand. Do it and God will use your life. Take the helmet of salvation, notice, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's uh, two swords that a Roman soldier would carry. One was a long sword that he didn't really use. It was more for show than anything. Uh, But the second is called the Machaira, and it's it's an 18-inch sword, and it's the sword that they would use in close hand-to-hand combat. A combat where you can see the look on your enemy's face, where you can feel his breath, when you can see the look in his eye. And sometimes... That's how close the enemy is in our life. And that's when you use the sword of the Spirit. But do you know how to use it? Is it sharp? You're only as sharp as your sword is. You need to know it. You need to spend time in it. You need to make a priority. I love Spurgeon's quote that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a life that isn't. Show me the condition of a man's Bible and I will show you the condition of his soul. It must be your greatest possession. 
Look at everything in this life that is like fancy and glittery and, and it, 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 it evokes emotion and it distracts you from your reality. It has no power. The power is in the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and I love this because you're going to be tested in this. I believe that this is the word of the Lord to someone tonight. You're being tested in this. You're being tested in your prayer life. Will you continue to pray when you stop believing that prayer has power? Will you, will you continue to pray when there's no emotion attached to it? Will you continue to pray when you think that God's not hearing you, when you're not experiencing his answers? Will you continue to pray because you're convinced of its power, not because by what you have heard or seen, but because of what the word of God says? Will you pray always? Luke 18, God, Jesus spoke the parable that man always ought to pray and not lose heart. Praying always with all prayer, notice this, with all prayer, pouring your heart out to him, casting your cares upon him, and supplication, like really specific prayer. Start praying specifically in your life. Let's not like, stop praying, Lord, protect me, Lord, do this. No, what is your problem? What is going on in your life, in your mind, in your heart? What is the issue? Address it specifically, pray specifically, and expect specific answers. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And notice this, being watchful. The Bible says that we are to be watchful in our relationship with the Lord, right? 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible, in multiple places, tell us, tells us to watch. Jesus told the disciples, watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. The spirit indeed is willing, the flesh is weak. Uh, he wouldn't say watch if there wasn't something to watch out for. Uh, you are navigating your life in enemy-occupied territory, so you need to watch. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Perseverance. When you read about the persecuted church in the book of Revelation, the Lord talks about giving the crown to those who have persevered. Your perseverance is no small feat. It's no small task in the eyes of the Lord. You're going to be rewarded at the Bema Seat for your perseverance, your choice to, look at just one more day. When you're, when you're, when you're uh, running a marathon, there's this, there's this mindset that you have to have, and it's about being in the moment. Don't, don't think about mile 25 when you're in mile 15. Don't think, don't think about how you're going to feel. Just be in the moment, step at a time, step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. We have to live like that. But what does the enemy do? Fears for tomorrow. But Lord, it looks like this is going to happen. You promised me this, but everything that I'm seeing is contrary to your promise. I must have been wrong. I must have not have heard you. No, moment by moment, step by step, live in the moment with Jesus. 
Live in the moment with Jesus. That's what practical holiness is. Living in the moment with Jesus. Walk with him. Stay in step with him. Keep your mind on him. Don't play fast and loose with your mind. Don't. Give your mind to him. Meditate on his truth. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Notice, and I love how how he ends this little statement right here. And supplication for all the saints. He tells us you're not suffering alone. You're not the only one suffering. Pray for others. Be mindful of the suffering of others around you. And ask the Lord to, Lord, show me someone that needs to be prayed for as well. And when you commit yourself to this, you can be assured of victory that's in yours. I, if you've came in here warring and battling, consider this as your instructions for tomorrow. Don't just walk out of here and you, you choose um, what you do with what God gave. He wants you to apply and experience power. And if God spoke to you, he wants you to apply. So he gave you directions tonight, but they're not going to be powerful unless you apply them. So let's, as we close this night in worship, let's do that now. Um, Let's purpose in our heart as we're worshiping him. To just purpose in our heart, we're going to apply, Lord, give us the grace. I came here, I heard, I received. Sometimes we, we hear a message and we just leave too quickly. We don't just, okay, Lord, you, you spoke. And I know when I leave here, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to believe it anymore. <laughs> I, the enemy is going to assault the character of God. The enemy is going to try to, to steal it away from you. The seed's been sown and the enemy is going to try to snatch it away. So as we worship him, um, let's just sit with this for a minute, whatever he said to you tonight, and, and let's, don't rush out of it. Let's do two songs, Mackenzie, does that work? Okay. <laughs>